Hello and welcome to the Fresh Air Sci-Fi Show. I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And uh, yeah, hello and welcome back. It's stream two of the week. Uh, it's the, the fourth stream in the new house. And as you can see, or, or if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see, so you have to take my word for it. This room is no better. And uh, e- equally, I still haven't done anything about the, uh, the reverberation in this room. So I do apologize if my mic is coming through and sounding weird. If anyone's got any tips for me in the short term until uh, my office is actually finished, I'm more than happy to try and do something uh, <laughs> to improve the sound a little it bit. It were. <laughs> uh, hello, Alistair, and hello, Intrigue Feline. Nice to see you in the chat room already. Uh, hope you and are Philip. well. Um, Philip, is he there? He hasn't, hasn't popped up on my screen. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, Philip had his uh, 5G upgrade today, so uh, it looks like <laughs> all of us uh, who, who are on this uh, are actually, you know, super fast internet with little hotspots us. <laughs> uh, what a mess on that bed. You didn't see it the other day then. That's that's that, that's actually better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, there there is. Uh, do you want me to sit here? Does it does it bother you that much? And then you've got the Hoover. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, obviously we we're, we're currently in the progress uh, in pro uh, in the process. Words they're difficult sometimes. Uh, we're currently in the process of doing absolutely everything to this house. We're focusing on trying to get the bedrooms sorted uh, and the living areas sorted first. So this is just my temporary office until we can do the final office. But this room is also going to be the last room that is actually sorted. Um, so yes, there will be mess in here for quite a while before it's done. Um, <laughs> Philip can see us in 4K. We're not even broadcasting in 4K. That's how good his upgrade is. Yeah. <laughs> ah, brilliant. So yes, hello everyone, and and welcome. Um, tonight we are going to be discussing uh, <laughs> evidence and the burden of proof. These are both things that you hear spoken about. A hell of a lot on the internet and sometimes the conversations go well but most of the time there is a bit of misunderstanding about both evidence and the burden of proof people discount things saying they're they're outright not evidence or people are saying certain things are evidence that are not Uh, the burden of proof is sometimes tried to be shifted when someone hasn't met their burden but someone also tries to dodge their burden as well that they have so today we thought we'd just have a um, little chat about these things and if anyone has any questions feel free to to jump in and I will do my best to to answer them Um, and yeah This is a topic that Dave and I have probably discussed a lot and done on a a few different streams as well. So uh, I'm sorry if any of you find this uh, repeated information, but hopefully we can give you a little bit of a different take on it as well and address some other issues that we haven't in previous streams. So Dave, should should we start with evidence? That seems the best thing to start with because... Understanding evidence is necessary for understanding the kind of burden you have to discharge with the burden of proof. Like what it means to show proof involves understanding what evidence is. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, 
So, I mean, there's a few different definitions of evidence that, I mean, they're all sort of saying the same thing in different ways. A uh, One that I've used for a while is evidence is anything that is indicative of a conclusion. So it, it's basically saying that this is likely the case. Um, and in fact, if you're talking about proof in this regard, we'd say that the evidence is you know, absolutely conclusive. Therefore, it's regarded as proof. But that isn't necessarily the only way proof is used as well. So, <laughs> I mean, so many words have so many different uses, it can get confusing. But at the end of the day, evidence is something that indicates a, a conclusion and something that uh, we will draw conclusions from ourselves. But Dave actually has one that, I think is a bit better. Uh, the the I, I, I first heard you say it, probably, you've probably said it loads of times, but I first remember you saying it about a month or two ago. Uh, do you want to give it, Dave? Okay, well, it's right to say that evidence is indicative of a position. Um, but it, it's sort of evidence is things that raise the probability of a conclusion to being true. So it's indicative of a position. But it can and also lower the probability that something is true. So you can have evidence that something isn't the case, and that lowers whether or not that position is likely. So if you start with uh, like a thesis or you know sort of a hypothesis, and you say Joe went to the cinema last night, and you produce a cinema ticket that sort of raises the probability, but if somebody says, "Well, hang on a minute." I saw Joe at the pub at the time he was supposed to be watching that film. You could argue that lowers the probability slightly, but the ticket still seems to raise the probability even higher because that person could be mistaken and, or he could have got the time wrong or the day wrong. You know, he could be remembering incorrectly, but it still sort of gives cause to doubt your claim slightly. Mm-hmm. And actually, what you mentioned there is is one of the points that some people sometimes say is not evidence. So that guy basically gave a testimony uh, yeah. or, or, or provided an anecdote. You know, <laughs> now some people will say anecdotal evidence or testimonial evidence is not evidence, and this is not the case. The reason it's called anecdotal evidence or testimonial evidence is because it is a form of evidence. So saying it's not evidence is wrong. Saying it might be weak or that you find it unconvincing. Um, saying that there's contrary testimonies. Maybe someone else said, well, no, I was at the cinema and I saw him there. You know, all of a sudden you've got contrary testimonies. So at that point you go, well, we don't know which testimony, but there's also a ticket to back it up. So again, we're leaning towards the fact that, oh, that first person must have been mistaken or got the time wrong or something like that. So, yeah. Sorry, Dave. Oh, no, I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> uh, so, so in that regard, we, we can say that actually, yeah, a testimony is a form of evidence. It's just not necessarily good. Uh, and an anecdote is generally talking about an experience that you've had. It might have been convincing for you, but that experience isn't transferable. So it's not really good to say, well... I believe this because I had this experience and you should believe it too because of my experience. In, 
yes, okay, it it would have convinced the person. It would have been quite strong for the person, but it's not going to be strong for anyone else whatsoever. So saying not evidence in that regard is wrong, but there are ways you can address that evidence. And I think it's one of the flaws that we actually have when we're having conversations online and we discount things as not evidence. And another one that we do this with is holy books. We'll say the Bible's not evidence. But actually, it is a form of evidence. Again, I don't think it's particularly good evidence. I think it's got errors and contradictions and uh, poor logic and, and things like that within it. So I wouldn't say it's particularly good evidence. But saying it's not evidence isn't a great way to go either. You could perhaps say, well, what about this convinced you? And how do you deal with the problem of this part of this evidence that seems to be completely wrong? You know, there's there's way you can address it. Treat If you're actually interested in a genuine conversation with someone and perhaps even convincing them that their position is wrong, deal with the evidence that they have instead of just, you know, being dismissive, going, not evidence. Well, I, I think that raises kind of a good point um, in that evidence isn't something that is this concrete thing. There isn't only this one thing. It's, and this kind of counts towards the burden of proof as well. It's kind of contextual. So evidence can be a personal thing. So evidence to you might raise or lower the probability of some conclusion to you based on a web of beliefs that you have. Um, uh, so personal experience might be evidence to you but not to somebody else, or we could have a categorical type of evidence, so scientific evidence, legal evidence. There is no one single kind of, this is what evidence is. Evidence is kind of, like I said, it's contextual, and it, it can mean different things at different times, and different things can count as evidence at different times. Yeah, in fact, there's uh, if you actually look up types of evidence you can get so many especially now that we're in the, the the digital world there's loads of digital evidence there's visual evidence from cameras uh the audio evidence word documents emails and and that is a form of evidence um so <laughs> uh, i'm trying to think of the others off of the top of my head and my, my mind has gone <laughs> absolutely blank always happens when you're actually trying to think of all these different things um yeah, but so in that regard, I mean, is it really fair to say that, I mean, don't get me wrong, as I said, there's tons of issues with, with holy books, um, but is it really fair to say it's not evidence? I wouldn't say so. I, I would say that, you know, it's part of the collection of data that's used in order to kind of put forward a case that God exists. It's, well... If God exists and this, it's a personal God, we would want to find it making contact with us. Um, and if the Bible is supposed to be this revelation from God, then it counts towards the idea that it's a personal God. But you can also bring up stuff like there's faults within the Bible that kind of lean towards it not being inspired by some creator. So therefore, it lowers the probability of that, too. Yeah, uh, and you could you could say the same for other holy books as well. I mean, it feels like uh, we're picking on the Bible here, and we're, we're oh, not you, yeah, you could say the same for the Quran. Yeah. I mean, when they talk about mountains being pegs used to hold the world steady, 
that's pretty blatantly <laughs> obviously not correct. So, I mean, in that regard, though, uh, whilst they are things that are what we would regard as evidence, but not good evidence, one of the things that annoys me from our uh, fellow atheists that they say is, oh, well, if the Bible is evidence for um, God, then you know, comic books are the evidence of Spider-Man. And I think that's a really, really poor take uh, because... Very poor. It's written as fiction. So if something is written as fiction, then <laughs> it's no not supposed to be indicative of a conclusion other than this is fiction. Yes, there's real stuff that's happened to it, but it was written as fiction. There aren't people that believe it. Now, in that regard, a child... Or, uh, well, yeah, a child might actually take it as evidence that the being Spider-Man exists. Uh, but that's because they don't understand it is written as fiction. Whereas I don't think yeah. the Bible or other holy books are written as fiction. And I actually think that a better way to do it was, okay, well, if you think, you know, the, the Bible uh, is evidence for your belief, then do you accept, you know, the, the, the Vedas being evidence for the Hindu belief? You know, or the Quran for for the Islamic belief, and then you can address these things and go. Well, why don't you accept that? What about it convinces you about your book that doesn't convince you about this? Well, hang on, you're saying you're not convinced about this because of X, but that same thing is in your book. So, what do you do about that? Do you ignore that issue in your book? You know, so okay, so if you're you're willing to admit that this issue is in both books, what else about this one? Uh, didn't convince you then because you realize that there's an issue in both books or perhaps what if you realize there's this issue in both books how can you say it's actually a a perfect book as some do claim about both the bible and the quran Uh, yeah exactly And, and if they make a claim like that like the quran is perfect and you can give reasons why you find that it isn't then that counts as evidence towards the probability of your belief rather than their belief in your own personal opinion anyway. And that, and that's the thing about evidence. Like I say, um, it can be kind of contextual, but it all sort of starts from within the subject themselves. Um, so what you might accept as evidence, I might not accept as evidence. And you might claim, well, that's not evidence. And that's because you have this sort of meta take on what evidence is and you define evidence as this particular thing like a popular one is evidence is demonstrable and makes you know um unique predictions about the world or you know then only evidence is testable and repeatable is another one as well isn't it yeah exactly um but that's not always the case um another popular one is Arguments aren't evidence, but yet your argument for what evidence is, is evidence of what evidence is. (laughs) And most of the time, evidence means nothing, just like data means nothing. If you just present raw data, it means nothing. You need an argument to show what that you think that data means and whether the actual data backs it up is a different story. So, I mean, in that regard, you would say that, you know, a logical logical argument that is a form of evidence. And, you know, if there is some data that backs up this argument, then that's evidence that the argument is true when the argument is evidence for <laughs> what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, it raises the probability of the logical argument. And, I mean, you'll often hear a lot of the times people say, well, 
arguments aren't evidence. Um, but then you can present them a case and it could be um, like, say, I went on the bus yesterday. And there are people who will say, well, no, unless you can provide some kind of physical evidence, you can't show that you were on the bus yesterday. Your memory could be playing a trick on you. That's an argument used as evidence to lower the probability of whether or not you were on the bus. <laughs> so they're using that argument as evidence that you could be incorrect. They're just not calling it evidence. Mm. Evidence. Does that make sense? Thing. Oh, yes, it does. But it's a confusing thing. And you can understand why people do get confused about it. And I think that when we have uh, when we talk to people online, uh, you, you do think that they, they get stuck in the, the realms of scientific evidence. Um, I mean, here yeah. we've just had a comment in the chat room saying evidence is something you can prove and demonstrate. And uh, I mean, that's not the only definition of evidence. I mean, as we were saying at the beginning, evidence is something that is indicative of a conclusion or raises or lowers the probability of a conclusion. Um, by lowering the, the probability of that conclusion, it's probably raising the probability of a different one. So just saying raises the probability of a conclusion still works in that regard. Um, so just saying that you can prove your evidence, I mean, think about a court case, if you will. You have testimonial evidence. You can't prove that they actually saw what they say they saw. And in fact, if there's contrary testimonies, you have a bit of an issue. Um, yeah, if all the testimonies are in tune, then actually you'd say, oh, well, if everybody is saying the same thing, then maybe there is a good case that raises the probability rather than lowering the probability that that's, that's what happened. So you can't prove that they any of them actually did that. All you've got is a consensus, uh, <laughs> which some people might call a fallacy, but, you know, it can convict people on that. Um so in that regard, it's not necessarily, and it's like we're saying, an experience is evidence. It's just bad evidence. It's not transferable. You know, if if I experience something that happened to me, and I know that that happened to me, I might have had wires crossed in my brain, if you will, and had a false experience, but I still had that experience, and it will still be evidence to me of this thing that I thought that happened, and I I won't be able to prove it. I cannot prove that uh, my wife loves me. All I have is her behaviours, right? I, I cannot demonstrate it. And you know what? Those behaviours, they could be false. So in that regard, I do believe my wife loves me because of the way she acts. But I, I can't prove it without a doubt. I mean, I'm not going to take hormone levels at every single point every time she says she does and make sure that it's definitely true and that she's not maliciously doing something behind my back i believe her and i'm justified in doing so and yes the bulk of it is all i have is inductive reasoning in that but it's still a form of evidence yeah and i mean you bring up a couple of good points there um one that personal experience isn't transferable um and two, it also kind of shows the subjective nature that evidence can take and the contextual nature that evidence can take. Some of your experiences are transferable. Like, not all of your experiences are, are ineffable. You have ways to describe those experiences. And you can describe those experiences to somebody you don't know, and they might think you're crazy. <laughs> but if you 
explain that experience to somebody else who knows you quite well, knows you well enough to trust what you're saying, knows you well enough to know that you're saying you're, you're reasonably good at understanding what happens to you, that counts as evidence for that person. And that then becomes transferable. And again, it shows the subjective nature that evidence can take and the contextual nature that evidence can take. Because somebody who doesn't know you might not trust your testimony. But somebody who does know you and knows you very well may take that testimony as trustable and wonder what that experience was. They might try and explain it in a different way, but they'll trust that you had said experience. Yeah. And Even if you they think that it was a different thing. Yeah, they'll yeah. believe that you believe it was a certain thing, but they might be still looking for another explanation. They might still not take it as read that, well, even though you felt that way, that definitely happened. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. evidence isn't this concrete, objective thing that many people make it out to be. It's not always testable. It's not always provable. It's not always transferable. Um, it like, comes in different strengths. It as does. Well. Um, now, one I like to use is the finding of the coelacanths in South Africa. Yes, I yeah, I remember South you saying that. Yeah. I don't um, remember if it was South Africa, but I remember you talking about this one before. Yeah, yeah, it was somewhere in Africa <laughs> anyway. I think it might have been South Africa. Um, but most of the world believed that the coelacanth had gone... Um, oh, shit. Do you want to join the stream, Philip? Philip, if you still want to join, you can pop in. I can switch it. Your name might read as Dave, but, you know, we can deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the coelacanths were believed to be extinct, and yet there was this river where some of them existed. Now, these scientists were, were told by this the people of this tribe that, yes, we have these fish in our rivers. Now, you can say, well, is that evidence that they exist in the river? Well, I mean, if you think about it, they live there. They see these fish all the time. They catch these fish. Them not believing um, this tribe and saying, well, you haven't presented me with testable evidence, kind of, it doesn't show that they're wrong. Um, and by not accepting the evidence, it shows that they held on to a false conclusion until they had the physical evidence. And it turned out that these fish did were there. Um and I can understand being a little bit hesitant as well. Like hesitant, going, yeah. Yeah. Going, well, okay, we everything we know so far is these they're they're uh, extinct. But as you mentioned, there's logical reasoning to perhaps raise the probability that there is fish in this in this river. And you know, and, and fair enough, you yeah. want to veri verify it. You do want to verify that sort of thing. Yeah. But if they didn't accept that evidence in any way, shape, or form, it would actually have been irrational for them to go and try and verify it too, wouldn't it? Yeah. They, that's it. The testimony, and lots of people might argue that testimony isn't evidence of something, but these scientists accepted that it's the testimony was evidence of the possibility. So they then went and looked, and they verified that. Um, and if they hadn't have accepted that, like you say, it would have been irrational for them to go look. But also, if they'd have just said, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't presented me with physical evidence. They would have gone on believing a falsehood. So by rejecting testimony as evidence, they would have held on to an untruth. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, I think 
we've said it a number of times, evidence isn't as concrete a thing as people think. Um, it It is not always this provable, testable, repeatable, scientific evidence. Hello. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Hello, Dave. <laughs> I'm sorry for ignoring your health advice, Joe, but I decided to, to jump in after all. <laughs> and do it live on air. <laughs> yeah, like this conversation woke me up a bit and, and now I'm, I just have to contribute somehow. <laughs> We're sorry for getting it so oh, no, wrong. Switch around. <laughs> you know, I just got I just got so into this whole thing again. And it reminded me why I care about this so much today. It's a fascinating discussion. Say, yeah. Yeah, I know it is. It is. And, and and I love this sort of discussion always. So so yeah, I, I just had to I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting your stream. So. No, you know we love you on here. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, there you go. Names are sorted. <laughs> oh, wow. That as well. That is very professional. He's very good at the tech stuff. Yeah, no. Yeah. He's got a really, really good. Someone's got to that. do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can type four letter names. <laughs> More than I can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, like we were saying, evidence can be sort of a personal thing. And depending on the context, it can be this thing that is held to a particular standard as well. Like in science, it needs to be, there are necessary conditions for it to be considered scientific evidence. There are necessary conditions for a court case, something in a court case to be considered evidence. So this argument that evidence is always X, and if it isn't X, then it's not evidence, is an incorrect statement to be making. And I think that we atheists need to stop saying there is no evidence for gods. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, I believe gods don't exist, and I feel like I can fully justify my position, as we've done in streams before. But just just because I, I hold this belief, I, I still understand that there are things that can be regarded as evidence. You know, Maybe you could say that maybe there's no scientific evidence, but I mean... Then you're talking about something where, which doesn't really make much sense either, because I mean, God's a metaphysical being, and science deals with the physical. So, what sort of evidence would you actually expect, uh, and how could science test for it? There's, I mean, science is amazing, but there's lots it can't do. Um, so, yeah. great. There you go. There's, there's no scientific evidence. Fine. <laughs> yeah, and. There's the quality of evidence. Um, like, like like we said earlier, evidence comes in different strengths. It can be good evidence. It can be bad evidence. I mean, uh, uh, Segmentation Thoughts just said, uh, there's a lot of bad evidence for gods, but there's still evidence. And, and, and you're right. You yeah. know, <laughs> I think there's some pretty good arguments as well. They don't convince me, but I think that there's some really strong arguments that you can find out there. I just think there's even better arguments <laughs> against them. So, you know. <laughs> but do you want to have anything you want to throw in about evidence, Philip, before we move on to the burden oh, of proof? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> a few things. Um, I've had a few conversations in this chat, uh, actually, uh, that sort of inspired me to, to then come on. Um, like, <laughs> there, there was a bit about, there was someone saying that, um, um, 
like that if you uh, that if you can experience it then then so can i or something like that right and because i can't experiencing it, i can't experience it therefore you must be wrong or something right when someone talks about god uh, or or even in general right because that was presented as a general statement i don't remember exactly the configuration now but um i think like that is it is obviously a wrong statement in my opinion right because because there are obviously yeah. experiences that someone can have that are not accessible to everyone, uh, and yet they would be counted as evidence in a sense, right? And it wouldn't be possible for me to experience the same thing just because another person has experienced these things. And they, obviously, this is true for any kind of testimony almost, right? Where something happens in the past and we don't have access to it. So that that is one example of, of this kind of stuff. And of course, you know, I'm not saying that this is the same as evidence for God or that like they, they are exactly on the same plane or anything. I think that there, there was a misunderstanding there, but like just the statement about, you know, the inaccessibility of experience, making it some, somehow, you know, invalidating. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, you might say that that's not, you know, not very good, right? That you you cannot investigate that. And that's that's correct. Like that that's why we generally tend to uh, consider testimonial evidence as not that strong evidence precisely because it's not really that easy but it's still evidence right and we still consider testimonial evidence as you uh you know put it uh, before so i think that was mainly like something that i really wanted to sort of clarify and yeah i, I think yeah. that that for now i also would like to just throw like just bias in here right that that's a good thing to to study if you want to understand more about like how how some people think about evidence and, and how I, for example, think about evidence as well, you know, prior probability and then, you know, how you can adjust your, your assessment of how likely something is based on sort of uh, incoming evidence and stuff. And I also think like my personal, if, if we want to go like further back, my personal way of looking at evidence, I think yours, your definitions were both great. I, I genuinely like to think about it as, you know, say that a hypothesis is true. What would we expect? Would we expect what we see? As, as evidence, right? Would we expect if 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 um, this theory is true, and if if you would expect that, then that counts as evidence. Um, at least it counts as evidence if the negation of that hypothesis or the competing hypothesis doesn't have the same prediction or doesn't make the same prediction. And I think this is a very at least it helped me when I was studying these things to visualize it in that way because it's a very clear way to 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 think about it. I think. And and to it, look it at helps. Balance, yeah. yeah, yeah. To look at the balance. To just imagine. Okay, say say this hypothesis is true. Would we expect this piece of it? What would we call evidence, right? Would we expect this this piece of data to be there? And if we would expect this, then you could say that that counts as evidence for the hypothesis. Um, and and in conversely, you could say that you know if we wouldn't expect that data, um, then it sort of counts in a way against. Uh, depending on the data, uh, it, it might even be very strong evidence against against something like 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 the yeah. example of Joe going to the cinema, right? If someone so if there is a camera feed somewhere that shows him at another place, you know that is pretty strong evidence. Um, That's that strong it, evidence it, it, that, yeah. that it can't be the case. Uh, it's I, I would almost say that it's almost incompatible uh, with the statement that he was at some place, unless. You know the camera feeds could be manipulated and stuff but, but like if you if you take it as a general genuine camera feed or something i think that would be sort of incompatible even um with the hypothesis that he was at the cinema or something like that yeah absolutely agree and i mean when you start to bring in things like um well it could be that the camera's manipulated it seems more like you're trying to 
discredit the evidence for the sake of holding on to a particular hypothesis rather yeah. than looking at the actual data. Yeah. Yeah, but but that that like there are defeaters for sort of uh, oh, yeah. evidence, right? Like that, that's that's how we talk about undercutters, right? Where you try to present information that would make whatever sort of evidence is presented, right? You wouldn't make it as expected under the a certain particular view, right? If you say, yeah. or, or, or compatible even, because what, what you just said about the camera is being manipulated, if it actually turns out that they were manipulated, right? That counts sort of, you, oh, sort yeah, of defeating, yeah. you're sort of defeating that sort of evidence, right? For for that. So that's how, how the game plays out, I think. And it's it's a very interesting thing to study. Uh, Intrigue Feline says uh, it's entirely possible that a collection of experiences become the very evidence that is needed, and uh, and I think you're right. I mean, if you keep having a re- repeated experience, for example, if every time you eat a piece of cheese you get the shits and have really bad gas, I think it's fair to say you can use that as evidence <laughs> that you know perhaps you're lactose intolerant. Um, yeah. You could also say the way people act towards you. I mean, not even anything that you could necessarily repeat, but if you're on a one-on-one situation with a particular person and only in a one-on-one situation, they become very mean to you. But when anyone else is around, they seem sweet as pie. You could say, actually, that you've got evidence that they either don't like you or they're just a bit of a bully but don't want to be found out for being a bully. And, and again, this, you know, that is something that you couldn't necessarily transfer at all. All you could do is tell someone else this is happening, but they wouldn't have any evidence other than what you're saying. Um, so I agree with you. Uh, you. You can have a collection of experiences that, that become uh, evidence. Uh, and equally, if uh, like with the eating the cheese, if it only happens once every now and then, well, perhaps it isn't the cheese, or maybe it's this particular type of cheese or, or something like that. Um, Three Vikings says, can all evidence prove something or is it only scientific evidence that is conclusive? Would would we say that scientific evidence even is absolutely conclusive or do we just draw conclusions from it? Um, I'd say that scientific evidence is generally the the best and most rigorous evidence that we have in that regard. I, I would agree with that. But I wouldn't say that it's always absolutely conclusive. And I think sometimes we don't always have ways to test. So we draw a conclusion based on the tests that we have the technology to do at the time. But 10 years down the line, technology moves on and we find another way to test this particular theory and go, oh, crap something was wrong with this theory and then we modify the theory and that's one of the great things about science and that's the way it should work you know uh oh well we weren't completely right there there you go we had our initial set of evidence and we had a future set of evidence and then we changed the, uh, you know the belief uh or the theory based on this particular new evidence that's come into play um yeah. in general there is- yeah sorry I, I was just going to mention the problem of underdetermination in science. No, 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 you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so there is a lot of stuff where um, it can be argued that the evidence is underdetermined to make the conclusions that are being drawn. And because it's underdetermined, we can't make any kind of conclusive statement about it. But it just, the evidence that we have points towards this particular conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that science in general tends to make sort of risky assessments, uh, sort of inductive yeah. assessments about reality. And that's fine, right? And I think, like, um, you could say that even the evidence that we have about sort of the Earth being around or something might might not be, like, 
conclusive in the sense that it's like 100,000% certain, but, but I would, I would say that, you know, it is, it is high enough that you would, you would be hard pressed, very hard pressed to, 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 yeah. to accept sort of the opposite or something like that. Well, even um, then, with, no, with, the earth with is the flat. Earth. <laughs> but even then, with the shape of the Earth, if you know, we we would have the idea that you know it was spherical based on the tests that were done. I mean, even even the Greeks worked this out long before they were flat Earthers. <laughs> um, and and then when we actually sent satellites up into space to send pictures back, we saw that actually it isn't completely round. You know, it, and actually, if it, it's 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 bulbous, it's an oblate spheroid. It's not actually a complete sphere. So, you know, even then, the tests showed us something, and it was mostly right, but it wasn't the whole picture. And again, in the future, we found out a bit more information and we modified it. Now, we'll still probably regard it as a sphere in most cases. We'd still use that word. We might say the round Earth, the globe Earth. Because it's easy language, but I think most people who know a little bit more about it know that it actually it isn't this sphere. It isn't like uh, the the globe that you see depicted. It's not like the the distant picture from space actually is. It, there is a bit more to the shape of the Earth than that. Um, so Viking says it's likely why everybody else for scientific evidence then uh, even for metaphysical beings. That's great, but I don't think we can operate our lives purely on scientific evidence. I mean, if I needed scientific evidence to prove to me that a bridge would hold my weight before I believed that it would, I'd be standing at that bridge for a long time and I'd miss my work and things like that. So I think it's actually ridiculous to always want scientific evidence. Um, there's there's plenty of forms um, of evidence. Sorry. Yeah. A lot of the people who say they only accept scientific evidence for things are mostly making a performative statement because very few people live by that actual maximum. Most people accept like um, experiential evidence, like going for a bus at a particular time means you'll get a bus. Well, you have no scientific evidence that shows that that bus will actually show up at that particular time. But because of your experiences of going for that bus and your experiences of knowing that bus routes happen and buses show up, you go on that. It's not actual scientific evidence. It's, it's sort of experiential evidence. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I think a lot of people could also sort of think about sort of what would uh, you could have scientific evidence for, right, and go for that then, because presumably you could generate scientific evidence for a bus, right? Then you, you, you're not... Or for a bus getting there at a particular time, I guess. Um, but but like oh, yeah. you, don't, you don't operate strictly on that evidence. Based you operate on, on the yeah. assumption that you could presumably have that, and it's, it's more like <laughs> an experience anyway. Then right, like there's yeah. many types, and then and as we discussed many times on this channel as well, there there are some things that you just you know you can't you can have scientific evidence for, for certain things and for certain axioms that stand before everything and other things. Yeah, uh, as as Intrigue Feline says, uh, science doesn't prove anything anyway. Um, I, I'd throw that in there. I, I did sort of say that earlier, but if I wasn't clear, I do apologise. I mean, that's the thing. So science has a very uh, fallibilistic nature to it. It's it's more considered true for now until someone proves it false. We've done test after test after test after test, and it seems to work. 
it's basically built on induction. That's what science is. It's induction. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very good inductive reasoning. <laughs> but induction all the same. The data says this. It still says this. It still says this. It still says this. We've tried it a number of different ways. It still says this. This is going to be the case for now. And that's like what I was saying and you know, earlier. You know, if in the future a new test comes up that actually shows, ah, we weren't quite right. That is when we'd modify things. We might have a, a new test in, in a way. Yeah, science has a good toolkit for excellent inductive reasoning, basically. Yeah, yes. we, worked out, we worked out how to make inductive reasoning as strong as possible. And that's what, what we have with science. Um, yeah. And I mean, to some extent, you could say it does kind of prove things. It, it just yeah, doesn't give so. us absolute conclusive proof. Yeah. I mean, it. This is one of the things, and it, it sort of goes back to what Philip said about making risky assessments, science making risky assessments. One of the reasons Popper was so entranced by Einstein's hypothesis is that he talked about light being bent and light having mass, etc., and that he made a prediction that in such and such a circumstance, we would see such and such happen. And that every, all the other scientists were like, no, 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 you're, you're talking nonsense. And then they had this experiment, and it showed this thing to happen. It, he made this risky um, kind of prediction, and it paid off. So that kind of, it proved, not in a conclusive way, but it proved what he was saying was correct. So it does kind of prove things to some extent. It's just that it's not accepted that this is conclusive. Because if we start saying, well, this is conclusively proved, then we become dogmatic, and we don't accept that, well, something in the future could be wrong maybe we don't have the whole picture and i think that's the thing yeah it, it, with every conclusion with every belief that we hold uh we need to be aware that actually maybe we don't have the whole picture um yeah lb uh you've asked a question uh so you know my uh you know andrew my friend he views atheists that view that no gods uh that there's no god or gods do not exist he believes that they're irrational uh, and that to me, uh, and he said that to me since he's a lack of belief atheist, uh, because since there is no evidence of God or God is, is there is no way of knowing there was no God in any way. Um, he views that it's best not to claim either position. What's yours take on that? Uh, you sort of made sense, yes. <laughs> um, I, I, I think he's probably. Sorry, I think he's probably talking about the idea that something like God doesn't exist is an unfalsifiable proposition, and therefore it's irrational to believe an unfalsifiable proposition. Yeah. That, that would be my take on it. And I, I just have to say again, it comes back to all the things that we can't absolutely prove um, <laughs> in any way, shape, or form, or things that we just don't have evidence for. Um if someone you're in a bar and someone introduces themselves to you and they say, "Oh, well, hi, my name's Joe," uh, I mean, I'd probably believe that their name was Joe and go, "Oh, wow, me too, a pair of Joes," and have a little joke about it. Uh, and I would believe them, and because I've got reasoning as to why I would generally accept someone's name if they're not selling me something, um, and they uh you know it's you just it, people tend not to lie about their names in, in unless they're trying to scam you or anything like that um you know it's just one of those things i wouldn't demand id from him i it seems a bit silly to but i know that he could if it came to it 
because they're in a bar, so they should have ID and they, they potentially could prove who they are. But even then, you have fake IDs. So <laughs> the evidence can be faked. <laughs> so is fake evidence not evidence? No, it's just evidence that's been faked. <laughs> and hopefully there'd be other evidence that could prove that that evidence was faked. So, yeah. On the on the whole unfalsifiability of the God claim, first of all, I, I would have to say that I disagree with that. Right? At least at least some theistic positions are not unfalsifiable. I believe. And in fact, that's that's what many are uh, like atheist arguments exploit. Right? The fact that theism of a certain kind makes or at least generates some expectations that then you know do, do not occur. Like, for instance, you know the presence of gratuitous suffering or non-resistant non-believers or whatever yeah. you want to use as an argument for atheism, right? Like there are a lot of these arguments that exploit precisely because we have an expectation about what what would be the case if this theory was correct. And second of all, I, I also like about this whole uh, being in the middle or or like lacking a belief um, or being essentially an agnostic in the middle, right? I, I don't have anything against agnostics, uh, first of all, but I don't like, it's not just because you can't know either way or you, you don't, I guess have conclusive uh, think like uh, evidence either way that you cannot uh, hold a rational belief. It, yeah, hold a rational yeah. belief either way, right? Like I think you can believe that God does not exist uh, because there are there is good evidence that God does not exist, and and yeah. you know you don't you don't know that you don't conclusively know that, right? It, you could still be wrong, but you could be wrong about many things, and and, and still you still you still sort of believe them because you find them likely to be true. And it's like I was saying. Yeah, it's like I was saying earlier about the wife. Yeah, I believe it likely to be true that God does not exist, and that's and, and I have arguments for that. I have reasoning for that, and that's all that I need uh, to 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 back this up. I don't have have to have like these scientific experiment and uh, I don't know what to 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 confirm that. Uh, and in the same way, by the way, the same thing goes for theism as well, right? Like they don't have to prove it. Like I don't know scientifically to hold that belief they just have to have like sort of reasons and, and, and presumably good reasons hopefully uh to believe in what they believe and then you, you can discuss right you can you can discuss are these good reasons are they not according to like what sort of standard of uh, epistemological or otherwise or logical um but but that's sort of the conversation that is going on right among among theists and atheists and philosophy of religion and, and otherwise yeah i i think it like you say it's silly to say that I, you know, if you don't know something, you you can't believe it. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of crazy because there's so many things we can't know for a fact. Go back to yeah. the bridge example, right? I can't know that it's definitely going to hold my weight. All I can do is justify why I think it will. So if I think it will, that's the same as me saying I believe it will. I believe the bridge will hold my weight, and over the bridge we go. Um, the same thing with uh, my my friends. I I can't know for a fact that they they actually like me, uh, and they're not trying to have one over on me. All I can do is use reasoning skills. So the way they behave, the way they interact with me, the way they might randomly send me a message or check on me or or ask me how I'm dealing with X or remember some random insignificant part of my life or all these little things that all add up to them going well. Actually, that's the act of someone that does care. And yeah. I can't prove it conclusively. They could all be a manipulation. You know, every single one could be out to get me. I could just lack belief that they hate me and lack belief that they like me. But then would I really spend any time with them if uh, in that case? Uh, and it's the same with the whole uh, the God belief, right? I believe gods do not exist. 
I am more certain about some gods than others. Some gods, as written in their books and portrayed by theists, are as uh, you know incoherent as square circles. You know, and other ones, I'm a bit like, well, I have no good reason to believe, and I have a few reasons to not believe, but I'm a little bit more open to them. You know. Uh, so I yeah, mean, I think you can fully justify believing gods don't exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the like I, I see this sometimes happen, right? When 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 people criticizing theism will just say, "Oh well, but but the theism that makes predictions, right?" One could just say, "Oh, then God is not good," and then, "Oh, God is not whatever," right? And then it doesn't make these predictions, and then it's unassailable in a sense. And you know, at, at some point, I would agree, right? At some point, you get to a theory that is completely unfalsifiable. And if it doesn't provide any sort of explanatory power in, in any sense, or it adds explanatory power, but, but you know, it, 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 it still lives in this mysterious cloud of other things that, that, that then, you know, sort of, like we would have to explain further, then, then yeah, then, then it is a concern, right? Then, of course, uh, of course, you get to some point. And, and this is something that's... Um, you know, you, you can talk about, like, I don't remember if it's called, like, it's, it's a degenerative theory or something like that, when it becomes something that, you know, it, you try to make it unfalsifiable for everything, right? So for every experiment that sort of would show that it is false, you add some sort of other proposition into the mix that would explain why the result came out the way it is, right? And you keep adding these propositions. That's actually something that's very typical about sort of conspiracy theories of a certain uh, of a certain kind, you know, when, when you keep adding... Uh, sort of other propositions that explain, you know, what would would actually falsify your theory. Like, for example, you know, photos from space are fake, or or like everyone is in on it when you talk about flat Earth, right? Because you have to have those propositions in your ontology in order to justify, you know, what what we see in in, in, in what you know sort of the data is about the pictures and all of that. And um, of course, that makes the theory. Uh, heavier and heavier, right? Because you have more propositions in there that you would have to sort of justify in a way. And, and at some point, it's just because this be becomes this behemoth, right? That has like an incredibly low prior probability because of all the propositions that are in there. And, and at some point, it just becomes unappealing because of this hefty weight that you have there. So that there are many ways, you know, these things evolve. And, and again, I think some criticisms in this direction can be fair at some point, but they're not generally... Uh, when people refer to, to sort of theism being unfalsifiable, I think. Yeah, I think Joe's watching porn. Sorry, no, I'm not. I, I've just had an error where um, the the the, the restream chat on the right hand side has failed, and on the left it's not. So I'm just trying to find a way to catch up with the chat messages. Um, hello to the new people that have uh, just joined. Um, I, I I will catch up. I just told people I was going to, ah, I can do it all through Discord because everything gets broadcast to there, doesn't it? Um, so uh, we just had a question as well um, from Alistair saying that what do you think motivates the lack theist or lack of belief definition of atheism? Um, and uh, this isn't what this stream is fully about, um, but I will just cover it off briefly. I think there's a number of things that cover it off um uh, or, or the, the uh, behind it one of them is people with political agendas trying to increase their numbers and therefore saying everyone that is not a theist is an atheist and therefore they want everybody supporting them in that way i would say that there is a bit of uh, a problem with people's epistemological understanding 
uh, and the burden of proof, which we're going to be coming on next, um, they think that holding a lack of belief position absolves them of any form of burden of proof, um, which isn't exactly right. Uh, but that's because they don't fully understand what the burden of proof is. They take a really weird and not even fully legal version on on burden of proof. Um, but they they see holding a belief as the same thing as making an external claim about reality, which again isn't the case. There is a sort of external thing, but it's more an internal thing about your mental state, about what you think is most likely the case, rather than you saying this is definitely the case. So there's a different weighting there. Um, and by saying they, they they just lack, they only lack, they feel that they have no burden. Um Whilst I load up Discord, do you want to take away another couple of uh, reasons you think, guys? Yeah, I think, like, I, I want to take it to the... I think most people get to this idea and they are in good faith, right? They they don't want... They're just afraid to to make sort of claims that they don't feel have any sort of... That they cannot grasp in a way. Or they, they cannot have a sort of, a, I don't know, a science experiment or, or some sort of, like, heavy proof or in the sort of scientific sense and and that's why people just are just afraid to to step into um the idea that they believe that gods do not exist even though i would argue that most people who are atheists even lack of belief atheists do share that belief i deeply like i'm pretty sure that most people uh even, even lack theists actually do believe that uh you know gods are fictional in fact they say this sometimes or that gods do not exist or at least some gods do not exist yeah, um, quite often say gods are imaginary and things like that yeah yeah i think at some point it becomes also sort of like um and this might be a slightly twisted take uh, sort of i don't want to attribute malice to, to some of these people but it, like it is advantageous in a debate scenario where you're talking to someone to just be there and and sort of stand back and criticize a position without having to defend anything um and that sort of advantage is appealing i think to a lot of people i'm not saying that again most i, I think actually i genuinely believe that most people are motivated by like genuine concern with not wanting to sort of overstep what they feel like is knowable or something like that and in fact you see this confusion a lot of the time where where you just sort of ask for the justification for the belief you know that gods do not exist and then say oh but i can't know that right they just sort yeah. of mix this knowledge and belief up sometimes um and yeah i think i think these two um are 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 the good thing like good additions to the list i think as you said there's sort of a political thing uh, as well to, to sort of boost the numbers of atheists to show that sort of that there are a lot of athe atheists i think especially in america this is particularly sort of i i can understand why it would be important to sort of normalize sort of atheism as something that you know is an acceptable position to have um and yeah yeah, and the thing is, I mean, the lack of belief definition of atheism is a valid definition. But as we've discussed a number of times, there is uh, a lot of issues with that definition, um, from especially from a logical perspective, uh, which is kind of funny from a group of people that provide, a, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on how we're, we're rational people. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> but we could actually end up spending the entire stream on this particular 
thing. Um, and, and let's not. Do you think, though, it's kind of a good time, seeing as it's sort of come up now, to move on to the burden of proof? I think we've discussed evidence for, for about an hour, and uh, it's probably time to actually cover off um, uh, the burden of proof. So just just before we move on, right? evidence is something uh, indicative of a conclusion or that raises or lowers a proba- the probability of a conclusion. It could come in a variety of strengths. It could be really, really strong and conclusive evidence, or it could be really weak. Um, it could be strong, but still not completely conclusive. Uh, there's more to evidence than just scientific evidence. Testimonies and anecdotes are forms of evidence and saying not evidence to things like that and holy books is silly. We should address things in a better way. Yeah, so, it's a very complicated topic and people should probably read up on it if they're going to actually talk about it. Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're going to actually claim that something is not the case. <laughs> If you're going to make a claim, then the burden proof is on you. (laughs) Yeah, prove that's not evidence. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the next part of the night is obviously uh, about the burden of proof. And as with evidence, there are some more common misconceptions about what the burden of proof is. One of the common ones that we hear is it's only on the person making a claim and that isn't making the a positive story. claim. Yeah, making a positive yeah, that's claim. That's yeah. even worse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That that's yeah, that's one one step up from that. Um so someone saying I don't believe your claim uh count they think is 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 a negative response um and therefore absolves them and people that somewhat realize that that isn't necessarily the case go for well i lack belief in your claim thinking that that absolves them and that isn't the case either so let's wind it back a second what is the burden of proof david you like to take that one <laughs> why always me because <laughs> <laughs> you're no, the no, one no. with the degree <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, the burden of proof is this idea that you have a duty to discharge some kind of argument or evidence that shows that you you can show that a particular argument or claim or something like that is actually the case. It, it's basically a duty to discharge that you can show something to be the case, to put it in simplistic terms. And... Uh... What sort of situations does do you think that it applies to? Oh, good God, all kinds. But also, it doesn't apply in some situations where people think it might apply. <laughs> Would you care to elaborate a little bit, Dave? Okay. Um, if somebody knocks at your door and says, Hi, I'm from the Jehovah's Witness, that's a positive claim. That's a claim that they're from the Jehovah's Witness or, you know, they're trying to sell you a product or something like that. Now, if this idea that the burden of proof is on the one making the claim or the positive claim, that would mean that they would have a duty to discharge and uh, they would have to discharge their duty to show you that it is the case that they are Jehovah's Witnesses. But that's not the case. Somebody knocks at your door and says, I'm from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And you say, okay, we'll prove it. Then you're probably entering the conversation in bad faith. 
because they don't have to prove to you. There, there is no obligation for them to prove to you that they're Jehovah's Witnesses. You, and normally you would just say, oh, okay, thanks, but no thanks. I'm having a cup of tea and I'm watching The Exorcist. <laughs> or invite them in and wind them up for about three hours. <laughs> I'm far too lazy to do that. I'm far too antisocial. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> So I think this is one of the things. So the, the, the burden of proof, I think one of the problems there is it seems like a bit of a misnomer um, because proof sounds like you have to prove something absolutely true, which, well, even as we've discussed, science doesn't prove things absolutely true. So even the, the thing that is possibly the most rigorous way to reason inductively well <laughs> it still doesn't prove something completely true so kind of like the big bang wasn't actually an explosion the burden of proof it's it's not actually talking about something you, you have to prove absolutely true it's also not much of a burden especially for for simplistic claims um i yeah. think a lot of issues would be uh, resolved if if people would start to call it sort of like the burden of persuasion or something like that. That that sounds way more appropriate. Justification. Yeah, the burden of justification. Yeah, like, we we have that as well in there, right? And 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 like, is there a difference according to you, Dave, between sort of what what people usually refer to as the burden of proof and the burden of justification, or uh, are it the same thing? Um, how do you, how do you look at you this? could argue that. You could argue that they're kind of the same thing, because in order to prove something, you have to justify the conclusion. But like Joe said, many people think that when you say something like the burden of proof, it means that you have to show that it is the case. You have to prove it 100% to whoever's kind of assessing the evidence. Um, but it, you mostly just have to justify it. And if you're going to say that you have sort of a burden of proof on your own beliefs, it's not really a burden of proof in that sense so you have a burden of, to justify that your reasoning is rational so that there can be a difference depending on the context in which it's being used another yeah. word for burden of proof is um, epistemic justification yeah. uh, or, or phrase should i say um which probably is more all-encompassing um of the of these things um rather than having the split that you can potentially have, if you're going to epistemically justify something, you would speak about it in in one way, shape, or form. So if we're thinking about um, a positive claim that is, say, a truth claim that you are trying to get someone to accept, I would say that there is quite a heavy burden there in general. Like, if I'm trying to get you to believe this thing I say is true, I've got quite a big burden there. You know, there there are some instances where perhaps maybe I wouldn't. For example, uh, if I was trying to convince Philip right now that the Earth was an oblate spheroid and not just a sphere as it's generally thought of, there there isn't as much of a burden there because this is something that is generally accepted and it's quite common knowledge. So there isn't necessarily that burden there. And I could just say, you know, have a look on, on Google, uh, ha type in a blade spheroid and see what comes up. And I don't actually Show have the 5%. to. Exactly. I think uh, at least there is, sorry, uh, did you want to finish? No, 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 no. I was, I was going to move on. So carry on. 
Like, I think there are at least two ways to look at this. And I think Ozzy did a great job when he spoke to you, uh, actually making this this distinction, right? That there is there is one one aspect of this whole thing where you have to justify every belief, right? And I, I tend to think about burdens in general, like uh, as sort of conditions of something, right? In the case of, of you know, say the burden of justification, if you want to, to take it this route, right? Um, a burden of justification would be a condition of, of rationality. So if you want if you want whatever position or view or belief to be rational, then you have to have some sort of justification for it, or even and, your lack of think, belief. Yeah, even even that, right? You have to you have to defi- like you have to reason about why this is rational um, to, to maintain. So that is that is one thing, and that is as as Ozzy as well pointed out, right? That is an internal thing, right? You could yeah. you could be the only man alive; it wouldn't matter, and that's why it also doesn't matter, like when it comes to claim in this context, at least when we talk about this sort of uh, type of justification, right? Because the condition of rationality exists regardless of any other person existing, or regardless of you making a claim. You could you could just think about it. You could actually say it out loud. You could say whatever you want. Uh, or, or not say anything, and, and yet you would have this sort of burden, if you will, to make whatever position you have rational. So you have to have reasons for it. But this is yeah. one thing. And then there's, I think, there's this other aspect. So sorry, sorry, yeah. No, I, I was think just going to say it. Oh, go for it, <laughs> It's epistemic responsibility is what that is. It's yeah. You have a responsibility to your own epistem- uh, epistemological stance and ideas and your beliefs to justify them as rational to yourself. Yeah. And That's then, it. And then every sort of... every position, every position. I just think we need to just throw that out there one more time. Every single position requires justification to yourself, right? Not necessarily yeah. discursively to other people. You're not obligated to justify your position to to others unless you're trying to convince them. But internally, whether you believe something, you believe it's false. You know, you're holding a disbelief position or you're in a suspensive judgment position, not believing either way, you know, that you still have uh, a burden to yourself to be able to justify why this is a rational position to hold. And I think you're yeah. probably coming on to the next bit now. So I'll let you take it away from it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and just just to clarify as well, as well, right, this this whatever whatever you uh, say, you know, or, or think it to yourself about what this justification is. You know, it should sort of conform to standards of of rationality that that we discovered, right? Presumably, because like you cannot just come up with any any reason, right? Because that might be completely irrational, right? It, it sort of, sort of has to conform with with some sort of standard of rationality as well, and that standard has to be a good one. So, so this is the first aspect, right? And then and then there's this other aspect that a lot of a lot of people, I think, online talk about, where it is about a condition of sort of persuasion in a dialectic in a particular dialectical context right where you talk to other people and in this discussion right it often comes up as sort of like the burden of proof in this in this particular context um and and that would be simply as i see it right if you want someone to believe you right on any particular topic right you should you should be able to provide reasons to him or try like like something that has persuasion value to him, right? In order to bring him to your side. And that is what the sort of um, burden would consist in, right? If if your intent is to persuade him, right? Or persuade others, like it might be a, an audience scenario as well, right? Where you true debate, right? You're not expecting to bring him over perhaps, but you but you might want to bring audience members over to your side or something like that. 
right? That is that is the burden, right? You, you given that you want to persuade these people to believe you, you should be able to provide reasons, and, and that is sort of the dialectical uh, aspect of it. And that's why I also think a lot of the time, you know, people get confused because there are genuine scenarios where you would say something, right? And you might not want to persuade anyone else about anything, right? It's just something that, you, that you're shouting to the wind. And in that case, right, even if it's a positive claim or something or, or a claim, it, it wouldn't matter at all because as long as I don't care, right, as long as I don't care to persuade you, then I don't have any burden of any sort. Um, yeah, there's no obligation. Yeah. yeah, there's still this, there's still this internal thing that we talked about uh, before, right? Sort of, if if I want this to be rational, then I have to sort of have uh, good reasons for it. But but in terms of you know the burden of, in a colloquial setting, um, that's not the case. And and this is another thing, right? Like the, the dialectical um, context can be, be can can be different in 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 different scenarios, right? You might willingly set up a scenario where you say to, to, to a friend, perhaps, right, this is what I, uh, I want to test my beliefs or something, right? I want to try to persuade you. And in that, in that case, right, only you have the burden of proof and your friend might not have a burden of proof. This is sort of asymmetric persuasion dialogue. And, and, and that is completely fine, right? The other person might make, make claims, right? But because of the way this was set up, because of the way this sort of discourse was set up, you don't have any any particular, like the other person at least, has just an obligation to question you, maybe, but it doesn't have any obligation on any particular claims that it that it might make. If this is what you agreed upon, right? Um, so, and, and and this is why a lot of people, I think, get confused online, right? Because if someone if someone just says something on Twitter, right, and then you come in and you claim this, you have a burden of proof to me. That that is not really the case, right? If, if this person doesn't care, then then no. And usually there's sort of the silent contract when you enter into a conversation with someone in a public sphere, right? That you're going to defend your views and they're going to defend their views unless there's sort of a different setup that was agreed upon beforehand. And in that sort of scenario, there's sort of the implicit default, I would say, right? That whatever I say, I want to defend because I want to try to bring you to my side or any sort of uh, spectators and the other person does the opposite. In that scenario, of course, you know, whatever, whatever I'm going to say, is going to carry a burden of persuasion to bring the other person to my side and then vice versa. So I think sort of this is the way I currently think about sort of this whole burden of proof, burden of justification uh, thing. I absolutely agree 100%. It's like this sort of like the argument that many people give with evidence, like evidence is this particular thing, but it's not. It's contextual, and it depends on what you're trying to argue for, uh, raise the probability for, lower the probability for. The same with the burden of proof. It's contextual, and it depends on the situation. And it isn't this concrete thing that gives anybody any particular obligation to yeah. do any particular thing. Except, yeah, this is... Yes, yeah, sir. I was just going to say, except in the cases where you enter into a scenario where you kind of both agree that you have this burden to each other or to the audience members watching or other people. You can't just say you've made a claim, therefore you have a burden. Exactly. And, and this explains... E sorry, 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 I was... Sorry. Even if you hold on to this idea that the burden of proof is on the one making the claim, as soon as you tell them that they're wrong, you have made a claim about their stance. And according to your own sort of axiom you would then incur the burden of proof to show that their claim is wrong or 
if you claim that you don't believe them, you have made a claim about your mental state, and therefore you have given yourself a burden to discharge. Yeah. But this, I think, explains really well the scenario that you mentioned before about Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Because in that scenario, it clearly, like, it's it's expected that you would believe the people at the door, and presumably you do, right? If they say it's like it's like if it's like if they present themselves as as and they give a name, right? Presumably you would believe them. So they don't have like this. Yeah, you don't you don't have you don't place this burden on them because the only thing that they have to do to persuade you is presumably say this because it's expected, right? And and the same would go for some some mental state, right? Most people would sort of assume that you're being being honest about your mental states. So when you say, so if I believe this, right, unless you have evidence to the contrary, most people would accept that. Uh, even if you even if you made a claim, right? This is what explains why presumably you wouldn't have a posit, like a burden of proof if you just say, oh, I believe gods do not exist, or oh, I believe that God does exist, right? You presumably don't need to justify that claim because we recognize that that is a very hard thing to do. And presumably you just should assume like a positive, you should just believe the person. And and this explains a whole host of other things. Yes. If you want to enter a good faith dialogue, you just take it on faith that what they're telling you is what they actually believe. Um, And usually if somebody is entering into a sort of devil's advocate type dialogue, they will tell you they're playing devil's advocate anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, like this depends heavily on context, because let's say that, you know, you made a bet with your friend that, you know, in on this day, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are going to show up at your door, let's say. Right. And you you have money on the line for this. And and then this the, these persons come along. Right. And they say, oh, we are just Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. Then you might you might be actually placing a burden of proof and, and not believing them on their word, because you may know this friend that they he might have called a bunch of other friends, you know, to act as Jehovah's Witnesses or something right, to win money. Right. So so in that scenario, you then, you know, because you're not persuaded and you want to be persuaded, then sort of they have a burden of proof to show that they are actually Jehovah's Witnesses. In, in, in this particular setting because of the context. But, but this is what I, I meant before with, with context, right? Context determines a lot of this stuff. I think the way that we should see uh, an online conversation, um, so if if we atheists are getting involved in the conversation with theists, we shouldn't just go prove your gods, prove your gods, and mean drop and all of that. That's a crap way to deal with things. But if we say, you uh, know, you know, the the we've engaged a conversation with a theist where they've made something. You you can go well. What makes you believe that? You know, you're asking them for their justifications by doing it, or and then you you then because you're engaging in this conversation, I'd say you're then putting a bit of burden onto yourself to go. If you then go well, I don't believe that, um, and just going not evidence or weak evidence isn't a good justification to discount it. And it's not going to be holding a good a good faith conversation either. I mean, what Dave and, and Philip were talking about there was having a dialectic conversation. And I think we've, we've done a number of videos on this uh, a few months ago uh, about ways to engage people and ask questions. And instead of just sort of putting down what you're trying to do is, is search for truth in the statements and you might get to a point where neither of you can really progress any further. And, and that's fine. You know, I, you might get to a point where you go, well, hang on, I need to research this some more. Can we come back to this in a couple of days? 
or you might have a really good conversation and one or the other of you will have actually changed your mind a slightly or, 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 or on a lot. It can happen with a good dialectic conversation. And that's the way you should almost approach the, the burden of proof in one of these conversations is like a game of badminton where you're actually not playing a game to win points, but you're trying to keep a rally going and see, you know, where the cock may land eventually. Um, and over time, there'll be, it'll land here, it'll land on your side, it'll land on their side, and you know, but you'll have enough of a conversation to actually go, well, actually, this position is way more supported than than that one. So perhaps it's actually more rational to accept this. Or maybe, the, you know, it'll land the same amount of times, same number of times uh, on either side. And you'll go, actually, maybe we're not justified in, in believing either one right now. And we need to spend more time looking into this. But that's the way to think of... Uh, the burden of proof on places like Twitter and Facebook, if they've agreed to have that conversation. And I don't think that we should jump into conversations where you see, say, for example, like a theist just going, oh, God is love and I love him so much. That they're just, they're just expressing their love there. They're not trying to convince anyone else. We shouldn't jump on them and go, prove your God, prove your God, or, or anything like that. If you really want to engage them, go, well, tell me a bit more. Would you mind telling me? Would you mind? That's the bit to get in there. Would you mind telling me a bit more about your God? Can you tell me what convinces you to believe in your God? Can you tell me how I can be convinced but, you know, that, that your God is real? And, and then you're entering that conversation and, you know, the rally begins back and forth again. Yeah. I, this, okay. Sorry, Philip. No, no, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say this... this kind of goes back to the excellent point that Philip made, that when you sort of jump in on one of those discussions, you're sort of entering into an unspoken contract with that person. If you say, prove your God, you, you're entering into an unspoken contract with that person to engage in a good faith dialogue, where if they put forward their reasons, discussion oh, about oh. what you believe them. Sorry, you're cutting out, Dave. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yes. Yeah? Um, like I said, it kind of goes back to the excellent point that Philip made about the unspoken contract that you enter into. If you jump into a conversation with somebody and you say, prove your God, you're sort of locking yourself into a good faith discussion. That That's generally the way something like the burden of proof would work. If you say, prove your God, you're expecting them to give you proof, but you're also entering into this kind of social contract where you're going to enter into a good faith dialogue. And rather than just saying, well, I don't believe that you're kind of giving yourself this obligation to explain why you don't believe it. And then to examine these things in good faith, rather than just going meme drop, meme drop, you're irrational, you're irrational. That's the way the dialogue should go. If you want to actually discuss the burden of proof in this sense, in this context, yeah, I, w I would I mean, say it, that it's not an obligation, but most people would assume that. Yeah, yeah, I would say that if you assume sort of a a balanced sort of context, sort of uh, bidirectional persuasion dialogue or something like that, it, like the 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 idea that you know whoever makes a claim has a burden of proof is not entirely misplaced in a sense, right? Like as long as no. you're aware of all the details around it 
right? As long as you're very, very sharply aware how this works, because knowing these things will sort of make it obvious to you why certain claims are not subject to this burden, right? For example, when someone says, oh, I believe this, right? That is excluded because you know how this works, right? Because you presumably know that, you know, you agreed to, to a good faith conversation and, and you should sort of uh, accept what, what he says because he just says so, essentially, um, and you have no reason to doubt it. Um, and for some some other claims as well, right? Technically, if you're just two people, if you already believe this other person, right? If you already agree with what he's saying, then you wouldn't have like this other person wouldn't have a burden either, right? Like he he wouldn't have one because you you already agree with that. So there is no sort of burden of persuasion to to bring you on um, on his side on this particular point. Uh, of course, if there is an audience, stuff might change, right? But but this is why what what, what I'm saying, right? About this whole being aware of the context, being aware of sort of how it is, um, I think, at least uh, supposed to work with, with this sort of condition of persuasion. And, and if you're clear with that, then as a general guideline, I think whoever makes a claim um, has sort of a burden. I think it's it's a fine thing to say. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of atheists are too focused on this idea of burden of proof and who has it and why they don't have to discharge their end or why that person is the sole or uh, kind of contributor to this burden of proof. Stop being so focused on that in general conversations. Just have, have a good dialogue with the person. I, mean, I know it sounds a bit daft and a bit kind of simplistic, but many of them should stop being focused on that thing because there are certain circumstances where you kind of assume this obligation but in a general conversation, if you're just trying to have a discussion, I wouldn't worry about it because there is no obligation for a burden of proof. There's just an obligation to have a decent conversation. Yeah, and, and I've seen this a lot of times as well, where, where someone will say, like, a theist will give reasons, and then, then the atheist goes, you know, oh, I don't believe you, right? And then <laughs> yeah. they will sort of try to go this route where they don't say, I'm not saying that, that what you're saying is false, right? I'm saying I don't believe you or something. And this is a claim about my psychology. And so that is sort of protected under this umbrella of, of things that is sort of just my psychologists who have to believe me. But this is such a, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just can't, it's so unproductive because the idea of you engaging in conversation with this person, presumably is to get somewhere, right? Like the goal of a conversation should be to sort of like have an exploration at least of, of what you, you guys believe, right? And why you believe and why not, right? And even if this person agrees that that he's the only one that's going to try to bring you on his side, right? Like he has to have some material to work with, right? And if he gives you reasons and then you say, oh, I don't believe you, right? He's fully justified to ask you, well, why don't you believe me? Why? Because otherwise he has nothing to go off of anymore, right? And the conversation might as well die. It's completely useless for you to say, oh, I don't believe you, right? That might be true. It might be true, of, of course, but, but like the conversation that you're engaging with sort of implies that you should actually contribute something, right? That sort as of much as that social contract. Yeah, yeah. As much as that when you might say, oh, because I believe that that this other thing is true, right? That contradicts what you said. Well, why do you believe that? Like you can't go just you can't continue walking under this umbrella of I believe, right? Like put everything with this prefix, I believe, just to be protected under this. Oh, this is my psychology. So I don't have to make anything in any sort of I don't have any burden of proof of this. If you if you say I believe uh, that the Earth is flat, right? That is a claim about your psychology, 
But I'm sorry if someone actually questions you on that, that presumably you should give reasons why that is a thing that is reasonable to believe if you're in a conversation. Yeah. So yeah, that, that is something that is very frustrating to see sometimes. And that yeah, sort of goes back to what you were saying earlier so, about yeah, that, that justification is very for beliefs to show that the rational, if you just simply say, well, I don't believe you, well, unless you're actually explaining why you don't believe them, they could consider your disbelief to be irrational. It, yeah. You could just be saying, well, I don't believe you, and you might not have good reasons to disbelieve them. You might just be saying, well, I don't believe you because you're a religious person, which would be an irrational reason to reject what they're saying yeah if you don't give them reasons why i reject that you know they're like this could, it could be anything it could be anything at all it could yeah. be i don't believe you because i rolled a six on on, on the die that i have in my on the dice yeah like, that, that doesn't make sense that is of course that is irrational so yeah and to be honest if i spoke to somebody and gave them an argument they just said well i don't believe you and they couldn't give me reasons um I would simply assume that they're either being obstinate um, or they're just being irrational. They're just saying it for the sake of saying it. Yeah. And, and we'll yeah. probably stop the conversation. Yeah. And this is worse if you have spectators, because if you have people that observe the conversation, right, if they see something like this, it's, it would be pretty unreasonable, presumably, to side with the person that just said, oh, I don't believe you and stop that, because like that is... That is not explaining anything, right? That is not justifying anything. Why would why would they choose? Why would they buy what you are having if you don't give them reasons to buy what you are having? Yeah. Sorry, you, I thought Joe was going to say something. No, no, I, I I saw you move, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> oh no, I'm just nodding my head because I'm like one of those Churchill dogs. <laughs> but th this also makes kind of a good point, um, like something that has started becoming popular. And it's sort of an expansion on the courtroom analogy for I'm not saying they're guilty of not existing. I'm saying they're not guilty of existing. There's this thing going around at the moment that, well, the burden of proof is on the prosecutor. All the defendant has to do is sit there and not say anything. And, you know, as long as they don't. But that's not how courtrooms work. <laughs> um, your defense lawyer will put up a counter argument to whatever is being put forward because that's their job. Their job is to show that you're innocent, even if the declaration isn't that you're innocent. It's to show that the prosecution is giving bad evidence or making false accusations. If you're, if you're the defendant, your lawyer just sits there going, well, it's not up to me to prove you're innocent. Fire the lawyer, get a better lawyer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I think this is the only thing that the courtroom does differently, right? It is the, the idea that, you know, if you land on agnosticism, it should go in the favor of being innocent, right? That's basically the only yeah. thing that's happening. So essentially, if, uh, if all the arguments for him being guilty are defeated, right, and like in, theoretically, you should you should not lean either way, right? Theoretically, because because you just you just defeated all the arguments for this position, but you don't have any arguments for the negation of that position, right? So you should be sort of remain uh, in like in this agnostic essentially position. But mm -hmm. but what in courtrooms happens is essentially if you land there, they say okay, if you land there, perfect. Then then you considered innocent for the purpose of this for the purposes of this. In the eyes of the law, is, you're innocent until proven guilty. Exactly, and exactly. In, not this everywhere though, but in in most places. Exactly. 
but this is this is what it means essentially right that if you land in this particular position right this is favored towards whatever towards innocence essentially and sometimes it's it's sometimes it can go to a mistrial though sometimes it can go to a mistrial but um for for the sake of the conversation yeah yeah Yeah. and and this is basically the, the dialectical context comes in here as well right because this is a perfect example right in this particular dialectical context this is the setup of the conversation and the overall discussion around the issues and that's fine right and we have reasons why we consider uh, a position of sort of agnosticism in favor of of the person being accused um but yeah this is this is basically the only difference as far as i can tell at least yeah and i mean the the courts and justice have a very specific reason for saying that they're not innocent uh that they're not guilty and leaning towards this innocence in favor when the case isn't strong enough to be you know to persuade the jury that they're guilty there's very particular reasons those particular reasons don't actually exist in a general conversation about some proposition or some hypothesis exactly yeah yeah and I guess this is another thing, right, that you mentioned as well, right? You still would benefit from from not only defeating the arguments the opposition is making, but actually making arguments in favor of the negation of, of, of the yeah. accusation, right? Because if you actually make good arguments for the negation, then you win because yeah. you are on, on this other side of the spectrum, right? And, and you don't have to be on the extreme point where it's sort of, uh, there's no reason to think that you're innocent, but there's no reason to think that you're guilty either, right? So, so you would want to be actually on uh, on the side of where actually there is reason to think that you're innocent. And that's what most people try to do. Um, yeah. So that is another thing. And I mean, that's the other thing as well is a lot of the debate around whether or not we should believe in God or believe God doesn't exist. When you're arguing that the religious person or the theist shouldn't believe in God, you... <laughs> You better damn well have a better argument than just well we have no good reason to believe because they they have come from the position where they do have good reasons to believe. If you're just going to argue, well, I don't I believe don't you. Believe that's you. not evidence. Yeah, you're not really going to discharge any kind of persuasion to bring them away from that because you're just going to make. They're just going to think that well, that's not a good enough stance for me. Yeah. That that doesn't defeat the arguments and the evidence that I claim to hold. That just says, well, you don't believe me. Yeah, and I think Alistair actually made a very, very good point the other day when he tweeted something, you know, why why are you pissed at, at people believing in, in God if you actually don't think that their belief is false or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> and that is, I think, a very a, a very good point, right? Because like I've seen atheists say this, something like, you know, oh, but but I'm not saying that there is this sort of standard of reasonableness that that you know, I'm not making this claim that they are not holding up to the standard of reasonableness, right? I'm just saying that according to me, sort of to, to, according to my personal standard, it doesn't matter, right? So I, yeah, that's <laughs> something like that, yes, right? But but if like if that is actually the case, that it is not true that this is that it is unreasonable to believe in general, but it's just unreasonable for you to believe, right? Which is a fine thing to say, by the way. Like, you you can say oh, that. Yeah. Uh, it, depending on the context, but you could say that, then why, why do you like, then that's, it seems to me that that is just like an example of, I prefer chocolate ice cream and you prefer strawberry ice cream, right? Like, I'm not saying that you have this, that there's this outside standard that you're not holding up to, but, but like, I can, I, I don't hold up to the standard because I sort of, I prefer this sort of flavor 
of, of ice cream. And but but then it, it doesn't make sense to be pissed at people who prefer a different flavor of ice cream. You know, you either go all the way and say that there is this standard, which I think you should do, by the way, right? Uh, if you want to argue this way and, and take on this this claim that a lot of people so desperately want to avoid, or or you just sort of impotent when it comes to this sort of discussion, because why would you care at this point? Yeah. And I mean, many could argue here that something like, well, religion is bad for society. Religion holds society back. Religion causes harm. Which I claim. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was just going to say. You, When you make an argument like that, you not only have to show that religion as a whole is these things, but that the particular version of whatever religion they're following or their particular beliefs are causing this harm. And I, I know you get, well, moderate, moderate believers kind of hide the extremists and give cause to the extremists and shield the extremists. Well, if you're going to make an argument like that, you still need to show that that is the case and why that particular believer is shielding the extremists. Because many believers who we would consider moderate actually do speak out against the more extreme yeah. versions. Yeah. I've seen a lot of theists do that, and I actually appreciate it every time I see this, you know, when these yeah. call out other theists for, for certain extreme claims. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you even saw it, I mean, well, uh, God, it was years ago now, but like, for example, there was that shooting with the Muslim extremists on the beach in Tunisia, and there were other Muslims protecting all the people. They were standing up in a line, yeah. not letting people get to them. So, you know, yes, there are a couple of extremists, but these people are putting their lives on the line. There are a lot more good Muslims in that instance than there were bad ones. Um, yeah, and I, I, I agree. If you, if you only lack belief in something and you're not saying it's false, then why are you fighting so hard against it? Because you're saying it's doing harm, right? Well, actually, if you're not saying it's false, then you're saying that there's a good chance it's true. No. And if there's, if there's a good chance it's true, then actually it's not doing any harm at all. It's they're actually living the way you're supposed yeah. to live. <laughs> yeah. And, you know? and, and, again, if you want to argue that it's harmful, that is a claim. There's no escape from that at that point, right? Even uh, by many of those, even by the axiom that the burden of proof is on the one making the positive claim, yeah. you've made yeah. a positive com- claim about the harm of religion. Yeah. And I mean. If you're going to say it's religion in general, well, then you've got to prove why Janists are harmful, and they're some of the most peaceful people yeah. on the planet. Yeah, yeah, and, you're, you're going to have a lot of trouble defending that, I think. Yeah, then, it's a high burden. Yeah. And then if you go down, the, the, they'll go, oh, well, it's only the Abrahamic faiths. And it, I, generally, when, when you actually contest the average Latheist, uh, I mean, you even said this yourself earlier, earlier for that they come out saying that they believe gods don't exist once you get round to that point and it is just a case of hide the ball they're trying not to have any burden of proof and it's crazy to to go down that uh, or they at least believe the abrahamic god doesn't exist and they might be agnostic towards the other ones which is why they say they only yeah. lack belief in gods it's like okay but you're having a conversation with a christian so if you're having a conversation about with a christian in their mind, the only God is the Christian God. So forget about yeah. the other gods. What's your position on their God? Oh, you believe it doesn't yeah. exist. Okay, have that conversation with them. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're having a conversation with the Muslim. Oh, but you believe that God doesn't exist. Okay, have that conversation with them. 
Oh, you're having a conversation about uh, the, the Hindu gods. You don't know enough about them, so you're unsure. So you think maybe they do, maybe they don't. Okay, so you're agnostic towards it. Spend a bit more time, look into it, and then go and have a conversation with Hindu. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's called local atheism sometimes. You know, when you yes. believe that a specific version of theism is false, and then you're sort of agnostic about the rest. Yeah. That does not make you an agnostic atheist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that should be no, the net result there is you're you're still agnostic, but you you are local atheist and globally agnostic. Now I think global atheism can be justified, but we've already done that, so uh, we're not going to go into that again tonight. <laughs> yeah, and I think like as we as we mentioned a couple of times, right? There, there there are people who just say that you know whoever makes a claim has a burden of proof, which I've already expressed my opinions on. I think again as a general sort of guideline in in a specific context, it, it would be fine. Um, but then there are people who go one step further because they recognize that uh, that they want to make a lot of claims. Uh, like I'm not saying that this is the the precise reasoning that they have in their head, but like I like to sort of present it in this in this way, um, right? Because because they they actually do want to say that they are false, right? They then go further and say that you know only the sort of affirmative claims have have a a, a burden of proof, which is like a lot. And then you go down the route so that the negative cannot be proven and all of that sort of stuff, which is... Oh, no. Like Wrong again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. So, yeah, they, they want us to, to claim that something is false for free, essentially, at that point, which is yeah, yeah problematic for, for many reasons. Um, and if you don't understand what the reasons are, maybe you need to wind back and watch again. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah we, we talked about this right if you say that you went to cinema and this and this uh and this is this place and this at this time and you have a camera on the other side of the world showing that you were there right then there are a certain set of propositions that are very likely you know for example that you cannot be in two places at the same time that that would be a very safe assumption to have and and that that you know the cameras are reliable uh, and if, if you believe these two propositions that is actually proving that you know you didn't go to the cinema at that particular uh, place at that particular time. So that that is proving a negative for you in a nutshell. Yeah. There's yeah. other ones like there's things that are logically um, logically incoherent, like square circles. Right, you can't have a square circle. Water that isn't H2O. You might find something with very similar or in fact the exact same properties somewhere out in the universe. But unless it's H2O, it's not water. And yes, I know water can contain different minerals, but the thing that makes water water is the H2O, not the things that is part of the overall mixture. Uh, as for a general one, there is not a five foot green dragon standing behind me. There you go. You can see it on the camera right now. Uh, <laughs> there are negatives that can be proven. Now, when you get to claims of a metaphysical nature, yes, they are a lot harder to prove. And I think this is what people are trying to say with you can't prove a neg negative. But even then, some metaphysical claims are as logical as a square circle. So therefore, you can prove them false as well. So even some metaphysical things you can show to be false. You can't do it scientifically. But you can still yeah. do it. And on that yeah. note, I think that actually most people are just, when they say, you know, I don't believe you can prove a negative, they're just concerned about falsifiability of a certain thing. Right? I think that that is where it leads down the road. Um, but, but again, right, I think, first of all, like not all things are unfalsifiable. And as we already covered, theistic beliefs are generally, I think, at least the most popular ones are not unfalsifiable. 
And and even if they were, right, like if you genuinely get to something that is unfalsifiable, then yes, you can prove it, but you still can have reasons why uh, to, to doubt that it is true, right? Which is pretty much everything that is just required under the burden of proof, technically, right? The only thing that you would need to, to show is that you have good reason to think that it is false. And one of those reasons might be, hey, it's an unfalsifiable claim that doesn't make any predictions and it's just simpler to ignore it and nothing is going to happen. If I do it, right? It's, it's, so I have a simpler theory that is just your theory minus the thing that you're actually adding to the theory that doesn't have any explanatory value. And so like you could, you could, you could justify that sort of exclusion of, of that unfalsifiable claim in like theory choice context alone. So, so that would be a good reason, right? It might not be proof in the same sense, but we already talked about this, right? You don't have to have proof in the, in the strict sense of the word. You just have, would have to have good reasons. And this, I think, is a very good reason to compare theoretical virtues of a view. And, and a view that has an unfalsifiable claim that doesn't make predictions is, is almost the worst possible theory that you can, yeah. <laughs> that you can have. Uh, Manny's just said something in the chat that actually I think is really, really, really relevant to the conversation tonight. And uh, it's bad on all three of us, especially me, for not thinking of it. Hitchens razor. Um, so it's it's his sort of epistemic principle of uh, he summarizes as that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. The problem is it's as an assertion in itself, uh, and it doesn't qualify what evidence is. And then we're back into the conversation from the first half of the stream of people not accepting things uh, that are evidence as evidence hey op hey luke great to have you here as well uh, hey, nice to have you drop hey, in um so <laughs> yes so the this this hitchens razor is pretty terrible in, in in that regard but i can understand as a, a rule of thumb perhaps you know uh it being a way to to maybe go right well i don't feel like this particular claim is justified enough for me to spend some time on um, so I'm not going to engage in that dialogue. And and fair enough. I I wouldn't engage in a dialogue just to dismiss what the person says. I would use it as a reason to just not even get involved in the conversation in the first place. Yeah. Or ask the initial question of what can you say that can support what you've just said? Or, or how can I be convinced of what you've just said? And if they don't give you anything, you go... But again, you're going to go back into the realm of not evidence and all of that, and yeah. it's it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah, the way I see it is just an inverse burden of proof sort of idea, right? Like if if you're in this dialectical context, if you want to persuade me, you ought to give me sort of reasons, and if you don't give me these reasons, then I, I have no reason to believe you. Essentially, yeah. with what it is saying, and I think it's fine as you said as a rule of thumb. But it has it has problems definitely, but yeah. but uh, like as as a general idea, I think it's. It's fine. I think this kind of gives us a good opportunity to kind of merge the two things together that we're speaking about in that evidence is contextual. And the not only is the burden of proof contextual in the sort of circumstance that brings it up, but also what counts as proof within that burden of proof is also conceptual, which goes back to the idea that you mentioned where Scientific evidence isn't necessarily the case for God because God is this metaphysical claim. So what we need are certain kinds of proof 
like Philip mentions, where they make a prediction that if God exists, we expect to see this particular thing. We don't see this particular thing. Therefore, it's good reason to believe that this God isn't the case. So even within the context of the burden of proof, what counts as the proof is contextual. Yeah. And if you're arguing for a particular thing in a particular case, like if you say, if you really want to go this route with Joe saying, I went to the cinema and you demand proof and you say, well, I want scientific proof. Well, why do you want this particular proof when all that would be needed was for him to describe the plot and some certain scenes and how much he enjoyed it and give you a ticket? Yeah. Why would you want particular kinds of evidence when those are actual contextual sort of proofs for the claim being made. Yeah. To, like, to, be, to be fair, though, a lot of theists, a lot of them, actually do believe that God intervenes in the natural world. And, and yeah. in that sense, right, like miracles, basically, in that, in that way, I can, I can get, right, like the lack of scientific evidence for that is, is jarring, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so like, there I are agree. certain claims that, that you could make about God that would be at least in principle, presumably investigatable by science, if not anything to show that, oh, we actually don't have any other, like any natural explanations, we've exhausted all of that, and none of this explains, like sort of, you would expect to see sort of these giant meteorite uh, craters in our scientific knowledge that we just can't get to giving the scientific methods, because these are just the things that, um, you know, are are sort of supernatural and and God-caused and all of that. Yeah, I'd agree with you, especially yeah, yeah. in things like uh, when you're talking about miracles, like faith healing and stuff like that. And there's also been studies done on um, on prayer. I was reading one, oh, this must have been five, six years ago now. And it, it showed that the, 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 there are a couple of different studies and they split people into three different groups. Uh, one where the people yeah. knew they were being prayed for, one where the people didn't know they were being prayed for, and ones where people knew that no one was praying for them. And the people that were being prayed for actually healed worse than the other two groups, which healed exactly the same. Uh, you know, you obviously get your outliers and stuff like that. So actually, the feeling of, of being prayed for didn't even help them. There might have been some sort of comfort, but I guess there was, the, I mean, I, I'm just guessing here, but perhaps in that state where they, they believed God was going to look after them, they stopped fighting for themselves, whereas the other groups were still doing the fight on their own. Yeah. This is what I mean by the proof within that burden of proof is contextual. So if you're saying God intervenes here with prayer or God intervenes with these miracles, you would expect to find certain kinds of proof. But if you're saying God is this immaterial being that existed before there was any matter that's a different kind of proof that you need to counter that claim yeah mm. so it 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 counts as kind of contextual yeah <laughs> so yes both the burden and proof and evidence far more complicated than people realize <laughs> there's a hell of a lot of context and subjectivity to it oh yeah. <laughs> Subjective evidence, yeah. what? <laughs> and I think that's one of the problems within the atheist community at the moment is everything is kind of reducted down into these most simplistic sort of axioms and ideas without fully understanding how complicated many of these topics and ideas actually are when you get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so- because... because- 
understanding these fully actually gives you helps you right to navigate these situations because I think fully understanding these concepts gives you uh, yeah a lot of benefits when you actually talk these things and it's fine to have shortcuts you know to, to simplify oh, yeah. things but 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 if you understand the full like width of it and then everything then then you can sort of navigate the whole thing I think much much better and make stronger arguments yeah as well yes yeah. and another thing that actually I wanted to say before uh, about sort of the uh, experience of, of God or something, right? A lot of, or the testimony, right? It's one thing to say the testimony, like I would still consider that evidence, right? Perhaps not very good evidence, but, but evidence nonetheless. But there is another discussion about the person who has experienced these things, right? Yeah. What it means to them and, and how much credence they should have uh, given what they experienced. And and you don't have access to that epistemic context, if you will. But uh, but for them, I think it it depends, of course, on, on what they experience. But I think if you if you don't if you can't think of a scenario uh, that wouldn't convince you that it's sort of you're living in, uh, you're probably not thinking hard enough. Um, I think there are definitely certain things that certain experiences that you could have that that would. Um, would change your mind, perhaps, right? You would have to have specific things. And I think for a lot of these, you would actually be presumably more justified to think that you're just having hallucinations or something, or that, that you are, um, I don't know, that you are sort of in, in a particular psychological state. Um, but I think that, that there can definitely be some sort of thing that you experience um, that changes your mind on, on some of these things. Uh, Opie, that ties into something Opie's just asked in the chat. It said, if a miracle occurred, would you take it at face value as evidence or rationally investigate the experience? So I think there you, you almost have to qualify what you mean by miracle, because I think miracle in the modern day world is actually misused as something incredibly unlikely. But a miracle is actually supposed to be something that's impossible without God. That's what a miracle is supposed to be. Um, and even then, I think it... It really depends on on what it was, you know, if it was something completely out there, like a baby born being able to speak every single language and recite the the correct holy book, whichever one it is, if it is any of them. Um, and in fact, when it was born, it was actually born from a, uh, a human male uh and you know a ton of incredibly crazy inconsistently with reality uh or as reality is supposed to be sort of things then i would there would be a higher probability of me taking that at face value whereas if it was just something like someone had um broken a leg and it healed within two weeks rather than the six to eight weeks it's supposed to take, I'd, I'd want a more of a, an investigation. It would seem miraculous, but maybe they actually just have some advanced healing in their bones. So, uh, yeah, it, context. Yeah, okay. Context of the miracle. <laughs> context has been the buzzword tonight, hasn't it? Yeah. And I Always think like, a lot word. of people will even argue that sort of the history of science is, is evidence for atheism in a way. Because at least for, for interventionist gods, you would expect to have a history of science that looks different, right? Um, in the sense that you you know you again, as I mentioned before, there's there are holes in there that just science uh, with its current methodology cannot get to. Um, yeah. yeah. At least again, if if you expect God to to 
to cause miracles. I don't think it's a very successful endeavor if, if you want to go that route uh, as, a, as a theistic idea. I don't think it's, it's a good way to, to argue for theism, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> no, no, it's good. Because, I mean, like you'll get theists who will argue that ev- um, the fact that we can sort of trust the world to go on in the way that it is is evidence for God because um, it gives us a good rational reason to believe that things will continue on. As yeah, so consistency in the natural yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like a universal applicability to all yeah. the different things. But at the same time, if you believe in an interventionist God, that sort of goes against the argument that things will carry on the way they were because at any point, God can intervene. Yeah. And especially, I think, it's it's fairly unlikely for any theist to, to argue successfully, I think, that prayer has, has an effect. Because presumably, I, I guess you could get away with the idea that, you know, whenever God intervenes, like God intervenes in the situations where something bad would happen, uh, but he can intervene to prevent that bad thing from happening without some greater good being sacrificed or, or, or like sort of the, the um, a theodicy type of approach, right? Sort of God um, intervenes where he can without sort of causing more trouble in there. But that would still mean that, you know, whatever you say on the matter doesn't, doesn't help anyway, because, you know, you wishing it to happen in a certain way would not change the fact that that thing is either something that cannot be prevented by God, because by, by preventing that, God would sort of, and bring about some greater evil or, or not, uh, um, you know, um, enable some greater good. So he cannot do that even if you pray for it. And, and, and if he can, then he will do that regardless, right, presumably. So in, in that sense, I, I think there are, there are issues with that, I guess. Yeah. Is there anything that we've missed? Has anyone in the chat got any questions? And is there anything we've missed from tonight's discussion? I have a feeling like I've forgotten to say something. <laughs> which is probably the case. I've probably forgotten to say a lot. <laughs> I know a lot talked about this this evening. It's been quite a dense conversation and very yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, yeah there's, thank you there's another conversation. What? Thank you for jumping in. Oh, no, I, it's my pleasure. I actually love that I, that I decided to jump in after all. Like, I was very tired before, but then I just got excited because of this conversation. So uh, I, yeah. I'm happy to, yeah. I actually want to talk with... Uh, uh, Alistair sometime. I, I recognize that I pronounced his name wrong. I am terrible pronunciation, I'm sorry. Because he, he seems to be very good with Hume and, and there's a lot of conversations to be had with Hume and miracles and that, that would be a lovely conversation, I think. Uh, as well as his, his tweet and all of that. Um, because when, when talking about sort of testimony, that is a very interesting area as well because we mentioned sort of that the, if there are multiple people testifying something, you know, then it would count as, as greater evidence. But then it also depends how the relationship between those people are, you know, if they're independent and, and if they're for the same, through the same sensory organ or something, right? Because there are a lot of interesting tidbits there. So I would love to have that conversation at some point. I hope, I hope we can yeah, arrange that. Descriptions on testimony are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's very, very interesting conversation to be had. Uh, just a comment from LB. He says... With deism or non-religious theism, or that could also be secular theism, uh, God, in theory, could interact through naturalistic causes. Like, for an example, you can't get your favourite drink at a restaurant, uh, but you end up getting your favourite drink because no one wanted what you wanted, so they give it to you, or the restaurant refilled up the machine 
just to get your drink. Yeah, I mean, but then that's that's exactly the same as it not existing. Not yeah, so I mean, it, that that goes into the realms of divine hiddenness. So I wouldn't say that that was necessarily justified. Justified believing something that um, that that it is an intervention. Um, it's adding something to the scenario that doesn't necessarily need to be added in order to explain that scenario. Yes. Yeah, exactly. that is basically simplicity, right? You then cut it out uh, yeah. at some point. The simple theory. Um, another thing about intervention that I, uh, I'm thinking about sometimes, you know, I think there could be a case to be made that that uh, you know we would expect less evil when when we know very little about things, and then and then the more we learn about the natural world, to to see more evil appear. And that would sort of be justified by this idea that, you know, if we don't know about how the natural world works, then God couldn't have been to prevent all of these evils and still maintain sort of intelligibility of the natural world because he intervenes in those places where we don't understand it yet. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we if we actually sort of if the world is not intelligible in that space because we we, we don't understand that space. So so he can yes, intervene as long as, yeah, it's basically his playground, right? So the less we understand, <laughs> the more he can intervene, so the less evil there is. But the more we understand, the less he can intervene to maintain intelligibility, and so the more evil there will be. So I think there, there could be sort of a, an interesting idea that um, for, for sort of an argument, you know, that, that uh, we would see this trend happen, you know, that, that the more we know, the um, the more evil is present, um, and and that is not the case. Therefore, I guess God doesn't exist. But it's it's, it's a sort of a weird idea, like um, like a yeah. like an upside down problem of evil argument. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's, I it's, like it. Work on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's. Like, I guess there could be many other reasons why God would not would allow these. Like this is just one thing, but I, I hear this often from theists. You know that it has to be like the natural world has to be intelligible, and that's why God doesn't intervene. But if that's the reason, at least that that would be sort of it seems to be a defeater in in in, in the way I think about this. That we would see this thing, yeah. This we would expect to see this. So I'm just going to say last chance for any questions in the chat. Um, I, I will say that if anyone is com- commenting from um, Periscope, uh, Twitch. And Facebook, all of these don't seem to be working that much. We did get a couple of messages come through from um, Periscope earlier, um, but for some reason it seems to be only uh, Discord and YouTube that is maintaining a stable connection at the moment. So if you have been writing messages on Facebook, they haven't been coming through. Um, <laughs> I do apologise. Got it. Yeah. Um, I did notice that with one of the last streams that we actually did, I um, had a load of notifications and they were all from one person posting comments on that. Not one of them came through uh, the entire live stream. So hopefully um, that, that again tonight, I do apologize. I do try and get to the comments. I know sometimes they go past far too quick for me uh, to, to, to catch up with and read whilst we're going live. Um, but yeah, if there's no more questions, guys, do you have anything that you wanted to add? Well, nothing I can think of. I don't think so. Awesome. Well, there we go. Uh, Tonight we have discussed evidence and the burden of proof. Evidence is something that is indicative of a conclusion or something that can raise or lower the probability of said conclusion being true. 
The burden of proof isn't just on one making the claim. In fact, it's also known as epistemic justification, the burden of justification, or any number of things. And I would suggest everybody read uh, the IEP, um, that's the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, our entry on epistemic justification. Plus, what was that one that we were reading the other day for that? That was really good. That, that, that was an interesting one as well, yes. What was it, Dave? Cargyle. Cargyle? James Cargyle, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that was a really good one about the burden of proof. Um, we, we've actually put a link to that in, in our Discord. If I can remember where we can find um, that, I'll put it in the in the notes as well uh, when we're done. Because, yeah, that was... Behind the paywall. Um, <laughs> but I think you can actually use Sci-Hub to grab it. Um, or I think if you create an account on... Is it Springer Link that it's on? No, it's the other one. I don't remember how it is... Uh... JSTOR or something like that. JSTOR, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you, you, um, you can read like 100 articles. Create an account. Yeah, if you create yeah, an account. Yeah, just create an account, account, you get 100 really, articles a month. You yeah. just can't download it. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. The, the, the history behind that thing is, is quite hilarious too. Like how we got to read that thing. But that, that, that yeah. was just for another time. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I've got a Did you see that conversation, Dave, play out? whole thing i just came in at the tail end when and he said read this paper this proves my point and, and it just did the absolute opposite didn't so i thought i'd read it i did only skim read it i have to admit but you know i got the gist of the paper got the gist of the arguments and no it definitely didn't prove what he thought it was proving yeah in fact it countered a lot of what he was saying from what i could tell yeah. But there was also a lot of stuff in it that sort of countered a lot of the common sort of... Yeah, argument. a lot of it. Was, yeah. yeah, like you can't prove a negative. And, but, yeah. yeah, and only on the person making the claim. And, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny, actually. Uh, <laughs> we quite often get into conversations with people that don't understand the burden of proof. And... Um, and I, I really dislike it, but more often than not, they tend to be our fellow atheists. Atheists ourselves, we try and explain it to them and, and you know, show them a little bit more. And, you know, we we gave a number of different articles. Someone could, re they could read, they didn't read any of them, and then linked <laughs> to an article that proved their point, except it didn't. And in fact, it said everything that we had been saying and more in a much better way. Um, so, yeah... <laughs> Uh, that that article is actually uh, a really good one that I think everyone should uh, check out. So I will put that in the notes. Uh, and when I um, do the podcast version of this, I will put it in uh, on the site as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's awesome. So yes, the burden of proof is obviously far more complicated than people realise. It's not only on the person making a claim. The context can matter. You should always have a justification for any position that you hold yourself. Um, Intrigue Feline did say something correct earlier that there is one position that is absolved from the burden of proof and that is innocence and you're right I would say that's not an active position though so innocence in, in that regard is is something like a, a baby they're completely innocent because they, they don't have the cognitive abilities to consider propositions or hold beliefs uh, or attitudes towards them and therefore they don't have to justify why they don't believe something because they can't 
Um, they wouldn't be able to. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, you don't have a justification for why you don't believe something you've never even heard in the first yeah. place as an adult. Because yes. that is justification for not holding a belief about it. Yeah, we're presumably innocent of a lot of stuff that we don't know about, right? Oh, yeah. Like all of us. So, yeah. But obviously, once you become aware of something, uh, then that is when you start to have to justify whatever position you hold from that point. So it that's what the innocence is. Another word for innocence could even be ignorance, although I know people don't like that because it sounds more negative. Um, but they both actually say the sort of same thing. Innocence isn't talking about guilt in this regard. It's uh, talking about um, sort of a naivety, which is a form of ignorance. And that's why you could use either word, but no, that one works. So, yes, evidence and the burden of proof far more complicated than people realise. Context matters and people should spend a bit more time learning a bit about both before they make any comments on either. Fuck's sake, cat! <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> so you've been listening to the Fresh Air Sci-Fi Show. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. And I'm Philip. And I think all of you are justified in believing we are who we are. <laughs> Have a good night. Good night, all. Good night. <laughs>